TCU survive eight straight away from home to start the season? Nashville SC just put on a KC Masterclass. Final score, boys in gold two, Sporting Kansas City one. Well, Nashville SC victorious again. It's a win streak, two straight, the first win streak this season, and we're here to talk about it. Welcome to the Club and Country Podcast, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered this club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Nashville SC Radio Voice West Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com, which you may recognize as well, sharing a name with this podcast. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> what a coincidence, right? Wow. Unbelievable. As always, we are sponsored by ML Rose. More from them in a minute. More from our listeners, by the way, on ML Rose in a minute. Our sun- soundtrack comes from Moon Taxi. And thanks to iHeartRadio for the final call of Nashville SC's second straight win, a victory at a place, Tim, where few teams are able to come away with all three. Yeah, Sporting Kansas City is typically among the league's top teams, both home and away. And that only kind of serves to obscure how elite Peter Vermees' teams are at Children's Mercy Park. Save for a missed penalty kick in a period of malaise that followed it when Sporting Kansas City scored their first goal, the, the game's first goal, I guess I should say. Nashville City was borderline dominant for the rest of it in that venue, which is so tough to play in, and that's something that so few teams are able to say. They always show the mercy to the children, as they should. <laughs> they rarely show the mercy to the road teams. And in our gold nuggets today, in our early shot, we'll talk about that SKC win and also hear from the gaffer about the victory. And plus, we'll get you ready for Nashville's first trip to San Jose. Do they know the way to San Jose? Yes, it's through a charter flight. Can they get through San Jose is the question that, well, every other team this year is pretty much answered affirmatively, and we'll see if Nashville C can continue. <laughs> All right, so that's two puns right there taken away <laughs> off the list. Um, in the mailbag, should we be concerned about Hani Mukhtar's lack of goals six matches into the season? Plus, we'll talk a little bit about the situation at right back slash right wing back with particular focus on Alex Mwil and a name that Nashville SC fans have bounced about. Some reporters have bounced around as well as potentially an addition to the team. We'll talk a little more about that one and then um, we'll go outside in. How are NSC's loanies looking? Plus, what in the world is wrong with New England? The Supporter Shield winners lose to Miami. They give up three goals to Miami. Boy, it's not pretty. But first, Club and Country is sponsored by ML Rose, 8 South specifically. Just a short walking distance. That's right, Wes. Walking distance from Geodis Park where you'll be able to get your pre-gaming in and then and then head on over to see the boys in gold play. By the time most folks have listened to this, the uh, the open training for Nashville SC on Tuesday will have already happened, or maybe you're listening to it on the way to open training. Uh, I will say maybe maybe look for me, maybe look for us at ML Rose afterward. I'm thinking that's my lunch choice uh, after this event. I it, it's it's close. It enables us to get that practice in of of driving straight from the stadium and and getting a feel for that route and the best ways to avoid post game traffic, all that stuff. Um, and again, it's it's not the worst option, Tim, for for parking and walking either. Uh, Park, enjoy some beers, you know, do your pregame thing, walk over, short walk to the stadium, walk back. So anybody who's anxious about where they're going to put their car for that first game, I think ML Rose would be a prime option. Yeah, I, I think uh, you, you raise a good point here, which is if people are listening to this at, at just the right time, if you if you catch that Venn diagram of when we publish it and when it goes up, <laughs> hurry over to ML Rose. We might be hanging out there having a couple beers. You can hang out with us Tuesday afternoon. And my uh, my boss is out of town this week. It's a bit of a lighter week as a result. So yeah, I might I might do a lunch beer this week, actually. We'll see. Definitely a lunch burger, though. I think an animal burger sounds hit, like. Hit us up on social media to see if we're still there. That's right. Reach <laughs> really out. Either way, you should go. And if you're not able to make it this time, 
Come Saturday, another watch party as Nashville SC has an afternoon tilt with San Jose. And uh, once again, 440 Sports teams hosting watch parties for every road match in this stretch of eight. Braden Gall will likely be there. And if he's not there, you'll have an even better time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we rag on Braden way too much on this show, but it's all right. It's just it's a test to see if he's listening because then he will text us and be like, "Hey, I heard you." Hey, so what does self-styled celebrity mean? <laughs> <laughs> we definitely heard from him and from Steve Cavendish on that one, who really enjoyed that. Uh, nonetheless. The watch parties are fantastic, and it's a tremendous way to get to know fellow supporters. As as we would both agree, Tim, the, the best part of covering or following a soccer club or any sports team is the community aspect of it. It's the people we meet along the way. The, the, the real supporter shield is the friends you make along the way. And Mel Rose is a great place to unite with those folks. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, ML Rose wants to be a place for that community. He wants to be a place for that soccer community. It's going to be, a, hopefully, a, a place that everybody who's listening manages to make their way out to and um, whether or not that's for one of the watch parties, we definitely encourage you to check them out. Some members of the Nashville SC and club and country community have started to visit and started to give us their feedback. More on that coming up. Great burgers, ambiance, convenience to the new stadium, watch parties, as we mentioned, for every road match, and a large, diverse, locally driven craft beer list. When you think Nashville SC, when you think club and country, think ML Rose. Mmm, that is a tasty burger. All right, let's get to our early shout. Randall Leal, edge of the box. Cross. Romney, goal! The boys in gold are back in it. It's Dave Romney's first of the year. It's Nashville's first of the match. Blue hell, meet gold heaven. Nashville SC has its first win streak since last September. That after a 2-1 come-from-behind win in Kansas City. It was the first home loss of the year for KC. The third road win in six matches of NSC's eight-game road trip to start the season. But, Tim, it didn't really look likely after that early double whammy of Hani Mukhtar's penalty miss in the 14th minute and KC's opener 11 minutes later. Yeah, I kind of alluded to it in the intro that Nashville SC felt like the better team very early in this game, but the squad had a tough time recovering from the emotional letdown of that penalty kick miss. But once they got going, especially in the second half, um, a Dave Romney's opener in the 51st minute really turned the tides back in Nashville's favor. And they, until it was time to see out the match and, and maybe uh, let the clock run out rather than try to score more goals, they were pretty much dominant the rest of the way. And that Romney opener, what you just heard, courtesy of iHeartRadio, the first half featured Tim a much more active Nashville team than we often see on the road and far more active than they are stereotyped to be, uh, certainly, uh, by the MLS quote-unquote intelligentsia. As Boys in Gold led possession against that KC team that ranked third in the West coming in in possession. They more than doubled SKC's shot tally in the first half. The count was 11-5. to And while both of those stats did, as you mentioned, regress as SKC chased the game late, as you would expect to happen, I have to ask, do you think this was a more aggressive game plan for the boys in gold than usual on the road, or just an out-of-sorts KC team that couldn't string together passes of its own? It's a little of both. It's always a little of both, right? We, we always try to clarify that when a goal happens, it's not because somebody messed up exclusively it's because the other team did something well too but I asked Gary Smith and Dave Romney about it after the game and um, they alluded to the fact that this SKC team especially without their top attackers Alan Polito who was out for the entire year and Gadi Kinda, who's out for at least a couple more weeks was ripe for a game plan in which Nashville was actually the protagonist which you might not expect given what we know about Sporting Kansas City and given what we know about Children's Mercy Park um, you know especially when you look at what Nashville had uh, specifically what they didn't have, which is kind of a more ball secure ball playing option at left back and Dan Lovitz um, central midfield. Dax McCarty was not there. Brian and is obviously a great player, but he's not the guy who you go with a possession heavy game plan, but Nashville went with it and they 
found the success that that maybe came as a surprise to not only us but the the greater MLS world at this stage. And here's what Nash Valesi had to say after the match. Well, look, you're absolutely right about this being a difficult venue. Uh, they play the field well. The fans get behind them. Uh, for anyone that's been here, you realise that the atmosphere is is, is very, uh, as I said before the game, very vociferous. The, the, the fans get, you know, really get this group up. Um, and it's not easy to try and control and manage periods of the game. Uh, I think what the guys did this week, um, that we'd had a brief look at to just to try and subtly shift one or two things from last week. You know, to get ourselves slightly higher up the field, we needed to take one or two chances, um, which we did. There were one or two scary moments in the early exchanges. I know um, Russell had a, a good opportunity when he cut inside Taylor. And, and when you're trying to force the game, there's always going to be one or two of those moments where you know, you, you run the risk that the home team can take advantage. But I think in the main, the attitude of the players, the energy to attack the game. Um, and then when we when we won the ball, there were some really good choices. We had some good passages of play. We, we didn't squander the ball too often. We didn't try and force the issue too quickly. Um, we put ourselves in a good spot. And, and we, we asked them a lot of questions. And when you come away from home, which is what we're finding, obviously, week after week. If we can, if we can create and ask those creative questions on a reasonably consistent basis, it, it certainly affects the way that the home team go about their business. So, Tim, the great was CJ Sapong scoring at the place where he won Rookie of the Year honors in an MLS Cup. I think that was clearly the moment of the match, and obviously, the game-winning goal is usually going to be that. The good, scoring indirectly off two set pieces, if you count the Dave Romney long throw as a set piece, uh, while going two straight matches now without conceding a set piece goal. And the bad, unquestionably, Hani Mukhtar's penalty miss. He is now two for five in in-game PKs in his time in Nashville. I'll just open it up for you to discuss any or all of these things. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the, the penalty kicks. Uh, I think that's probably the most pressing question there. And sure. Some of it is just bad luck. Uh, Pedro Galese literally came to MLS because Orlando City was impressed by his penalty penalty saving work for the Peruvian national team. Tim Melia has has kind of declined in in the grand scheme of things. He's become kind of just a mediocre keeper, except in one specific facet, which is saving penalties. He has nearly a, a 50% save rate, which is way better than the average, which is uh, around 22% for keepers. So, yes, I mean, I when you look at what happens. Um, you know, Saturday evening, when you look at what happened in the playoff loss last fall, um, you know, Andre Blake is also an above average PK stopper, but although not to the degree that Galese and Amelia are, but yes, some of it is bad luck of who you go up against, but your top goal scorer doesn't need to be your penalty taker. And if Mukhtar's headspace is not right for it at this point, rotating it around might make a little bit of sense. And I, I would also say that there's something to be said for Nashville SC having the fewest penalty attempts, um, among the fewest penalty attempts three years running now, I think if you combine all three years, they have the fewest penalty attempts in the entire league. And I think you can also look to multiple events as recently as this year's Minnesota United game, for example, saying that maybe they don't legitimately have the fewest penalty kick attempts. But I think we're skewed by a small sample size. Five penalties over three years is not a lot for Mukhtar. And then a legitimate lack of practicing them with actual game pressure on, I think is an issue. I, every 
every time a penalty is missed, fans say, oh, well, maybe Gary Smith should just have them practice penalty kicks because they don't do that. Um, they certainly don't do it at the end of literally every single training session that they have. But I do think there's something to be said for, for doing it with the, the pressure of an in-game experience, even if it is ultimately not the difference between winning and losing, as we saw Saturday night knowing that you're going against a, a keeper that you aren't familiar with every single training session, knowing that this has an impact on where you stand in the table. is something that Nashville just hasn't had the experience with. And Mukhtar has not had the experience getting with this club. So, I mean, do you, do you, you have to choose a new penalty kick taker at this point though, right? You've got to have somebody else step up in those moments. I would think. Yeah. Right? I mean, I guess there's a question of, do you, do you, it's like pulling a goalie in hockey. You don't want to, ruin Mukhtar's confidence by saying, okay, you're not good enough. We're going to take you out and, and thus mean that he's never going to get that confidence back to shoot penalties. But at the same time, could Randall lay all have more success? I, I think probably. So yeah, I think it, it makes sense. And if, if you only say, Hey, Randall, we want to give you this opportunity because you have been unable to score from the run of play yet this year, we want to get you going a little bit. We know Hani's going to get going. You can frame it in a way that that gives them both some confidence. I think you just let Randall Ayal take the shot from 25 yards out. He's he's extremely comfortable there. Just put it yeah. outside the area. He'd still have a decent percentage, I think. <laughs> uh, kidding, of course. But uh, that was certainly the the one uh, darkest spot, I think, for Nashville SC in what was otherwise a very, um, very happy evening. Let's get into the gold nuggets now and break it down further. Nashville SC, the first team to win in Kansas City this season. And when you win at Children's Mercy Park, it's a strong indicator that you're a strong team. Since 2016, did a little work on FB Ref today, looking back at SKC's schedule. Only two of the 18 teams that have beaten SKC on the road ended up missing the playoffs. So, of course, that means Nashville is going to make the playoffs. That's that's the statistical guarantee that we're giving you right now. <laughs> Just kidding, of course. But, but certainly, Tim, in earning that victory, Nashville certainly did look like the contender they want to be this season. Now, I want to drill down a little bit more on how strong SKC is at home since you and I have now both mentioned it. Um, if you look at their expected goals for and against, adjusted for the strength of competition, SKC was an above-average road team last year. Despite that, they still had the, the third-best home field advantage in Major League Soccer, the difference between how good they were at home versus how good they were on the road. And The only teams who benefited more from playing at their home parks were Portland Timbers, who were, who were terrible on the road and basically average at home. So it's not, not an indication that they're super strong at home, just that they're very bad on the road. And then NYCFC, who was elite, an elite team everywhere that they played. Um, obviously, you can say Yankee Stadium might pr provide some uh, visual representation of why they're so much better <laughs> at home than they are on the road. Yes. But looking looking at a team that's that's good on the road and then seeing how much better they can even be at home says a lot. The what is impressive, but so is the how. It was the second time Nashville outshot an opponent on the road this season. That's something they only pulled off in five of their 18 road matches last year, if you count the playoff game in Philadelphia as well. Now, just the second time in the 12-year history of SKC's home ground that both teams took at least 18 shots. We can thank uh, Sporting Kansas City's media relations team for that stat post game. Uh, Tim, certainly not the stereotypical bunker, counter, and prey road match for Nashville SC that so many out there think that Nashville SC does every time. Um, even if neither goal came from open play, it, it was a back-and-forth, exciting, intense match, and Nashville SC deserves credit for being more open than they've been in the past sometimes on the road. Let's talk a little bit about the tactics. I think our, our listeners are familiar with what Nashville SC wants to do, but let's talk about Sporting Kansas City because that plays a big role here. They want to go with kind of a gig and press light philosophy. We see Jurgen Klopp go with this philosophy. A slightly tweaked version of it is what Pep Guardiola wants to do with Barcelona and now Manchester City and Bayern in between. 
Peter Vermees will push his defenders up the field to try and constrict space and earn turnovers in the attacking areas. But wherever they get the ball, they're going to try and possess it. This isn't a hoof it long New York Red Bulls type of team. But um, you may expect Nashville to weather the storm and, and kind of sit low and, and try to hit balls in behind. And, and they did that a couple times on Saturday evening. Don't get me wrong. But more than that, they played SKC's game. They wanted to go out and possess. They wanted to force those turnovers high up the pitch. And when you play in a, an opponent's game in their field and kind of play them off of that field, that's something that you can really put a feather in your cap over. It's it's a sign of progression for this club. You wouldn't have seen that type of approach, uh, certainly very often, if at all, in the first year, even at times in the second year. And, 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 you know, there's a direct comparison you can make, at least to an extent, between how they looked tactically toward the end of last year when they had those, what, like nine or ten road matches in their final 13 versus how they look now in this stretch. And I think you see a team that's much more positive and much more confident. And uh, yes, as you mentioned, um, SKC's approach fed into that uh, rather well um, also. So how's the road trip going? Well, the answer is that for not the first time ever in the history of this show, Tim, our uh, words, our debate is now irrelevant. Um, (laughs) we, We embraced just a little bit of moderate debate about what constituted success on this road trip. I said eight points in eight matches was okay, was a was a minimum that you could say, all right, that was okay. You were a little higher than that, but they now have 10 points in six matches. That is 1.67 points per game. Before this year, the best extended season opening road trip in MLS history belonged to Portland, and they were at 1.17 points per game over 12 matches. So half a point per game less over a longer time period, of course, but that team made MLS Cup. Um, not that again, we're projecting that for Nashville SC specifically. Or that's twice. That's twice that you've done it, Wes. I think you're. I think you're <laughs> in on it. <laughs> this is still the small sample size podcast. However, at this point, I think we can both say successfully, but I'm not going to speak for you. By any standard, this road trip is a success, even if Nashville SC loses in San Jose and loses in LA. I know a San Jose loss would be relatively unexpected, but just from the raw numbers, if you even got ten points in eight matches, success, right? Well. If you go back a couple weeks ago to the press conference that Gary Smith gave in advance of the Columbus crew match, Gary Smith said, if we get more than eight points over the course of this eight game road trip, I will be doing a jig. So until we get the jig, until we get the jig, it cannot be considered a success. However, we are on jig watch. Hashtag jig watch 2022. I think that, that he should up the ante and say, you know, if they get another result out of these final two, you know, get another win out of these final two, he does the jig at a time and place of our choosing. <laughs> and my vote would be middle of the circle right before kickoff of that first home match he goes out he does a little, little dance. pregame show yep yep like right before kickoff like <laughs> like the referee is is at the circle about to point and he goes out he stands at the circle he does a dance and it the danger of course is you do it in the first match it starts to become potentially a tradition like throwing the catfish on the ice and playoff games yeah, for the preds yeah. and he's got to continue so so what you're saying is you're worried that Ronnie Dyla is going to start getting naked every time NYCFC oh no, please. wins please not, <laughs> wins <MLS> please not. <laughs> <laughs> although wins are so rare in San Jose that you know Matias Almeida could make that that offer and it would still be about as frequent as the number of times Ronnie <laughs> Dyla has stripped down <laughs> no let's let's please not enter an era of coaches stripping every time every time they win uh speaking of san jose they're up next for nashville sc the lone remaining winless team in major league soccer after miami beat new england on saturday to earn their first win that's a sentence i didn't expect to say uh, early this season it's the quakes worst start through six matches in club history just two points but as usual they've been fun to watch they're kind of like 
an even worse version of Cincinnati in that mm-hmm. you tune in to watch them because they, they're going to give you entertainment with that man-marking scheme. They've allowed multiple goals in every match but one. They don't have a clean sheet at this year. And they're averaging two goals per game at home. So they're scoring some, too. They've had a couple of great comebacks that ended up in draws, even though they didn't win them. And Tim, that man-marking scheme just continues to be boom or bust, usually both of those things in the same match. Yeah, the joke that we make somewhat regularly is coming true. Every single San Jose game is going to have seven goals, um, either spiritually or literally. <laughs> the, the only question is, is, is how those goals are distributed. I think 6-1 for the visitors, 6-1 for San Jose. Totally reasonable. 4-3 yeah. either direction. Also totally reasonable. So, I mean, this season, like you mentioned, they've been on the wrong end of that all too frequently. But when it works, they do create tons of transition opportunities for themselves. And you mentioned that, you know, Nashville would kind of expect a win um, even in San Jose. But what they do is they create chaos and chaos can work to, in either direction <laughs> on a given day. Not to mention it's the first time Nashville's playing this team. And you look at other unique styles that Nashville has gone up against for the first time. And it's taken an adjustment period. You know, they, they lost to New York Red Bulls, for instance, in that in that first meeting. That was a challenge. Um, they beat Philadelphia, who also has a pretty distinct style in Nashville. So, you know, it, it can be a challenge when you go up against a unique tactical approach for the first time. But there's a lot of film to suggest how you can beat this Matias Almeida man-marking system. Uh, nobody's allowed more goals this season. San Jose tied with Miami in that category. You mentioned every game has seven goals, spiritually or literally. Literally, they lost 4-3 to Houston this past weekend. <laughs> so spot on. And that's something you've said before. Um, so it's not just a new assessment we're making based on that score. Uh, opponents earned uh, earning a league best 2.19 expected goals per 90 against San Jose. That's significant. And they've allowed the second most shots on target in the league. So definitely a chance, Tim, for Nashville to continue its bolder attacking ways on the road. You mentioned that only one opponent has has been held to a single goal and only a couple times have, have opponents been held to just two goals <laughs> so far this year. Um, the, uh, the two that have done that are Minnesota and Philly. And I think when you look at how those games played out, both of those teams scored fairly early. I think Minnesota's goal came in the 31st minute, but, um, both of those teams were pretty happy to bunker once they scored, which is not usually Philly's way. Philly would usually prefer to defend by possessing around you and kind of just playing tiki taka all over the field, but they let San Jose have the ball from there. And if San Jose has the ball, they can't use that man marking scheme to create the chaos that I, that I just mentioned. And if they can't create the chaos, they aren't creating a whole lot of anything and and opponents can continue to just kind of um, hammer away at it and and see out games in in a very different way than, than against sporting Kansas city, like Nashville experience last weekend. California. Here we come. Nashville SC visiting San Jose on Saturday afternoon. Um, All right. So before we get to the mailbag, we actually have a nice smooth transition here. We're going to talk about ML Rose, but, but we're going to take a step away from our own endorsements of the place and talk about what you were saying, because in the mailbag discussion this very morning before we recorded, there was some back and forth about the excellence of ML Rose from you guys. Uh, and it was great. It, by the way, if you include a picture of an ML Rose burger in your mailbag question, that is a guarantee that we're going to put that mailbag question <laughs> on the show. We try to get to as many of them as we can anyway, but super duper why we'll get to his question in just a second, but he tagged his question with a picture of the animal burger. He says, you were right. It's amazing. So ML Rose, if you're listening, direct referral right there from, from super duper Wyatt. And then uh, Steph responded, great friend of the show. Steph says, uh, favorite burgers in town, the Belgian and depending on the burger of the month are my go-to. The Belgian is my number two. So we t- I've talked a lot about the animal burger and Wyatt. Thanks for taking my recommendation. I see about a half a beer there too. So it's like you were enjoying yourself. Um, 
and, and Steph the Belgian, it's it's really rich and juicy and and tastes like a it tastes like something that would come from Europe. It's classy. It's a classy Belgian like rich cheesy burger. Tim, it's so now, is this is this Flemish Belgian or is this uh... uh no, this would be the French side of, okay, okay. of Belgian with the with the fries that you dip in the mayonnaise, that the Brussels culture okay. rather than, than looking up more of the pork Rather than the sprouts culture. Sorry, that is the worst pun we have made in so long. <laughs> Come on. You didn't even finish. Like, you were still trailing off when you were already starting to apologize for that one. <laughs> that was awful. But, but see, that's, Rose, better than our puns. Better than our Oh, well, that's not saying much. There are a lot of burger places in town that are better than our puns. There are none better, though, than ML Rose. Um, it's great, Tim, to see these, you know, our recommendations starting to flow through and people starting to check it out. Kerry responded as well that, that when he's in town for a game here soon, it's going to have to be his pregame spot. So I think, I think this he, is catching he, on. He sent a map. Is he the one who sent the map? Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, He's already go. planning. That was not just a a nice projection for him. That was that was a a an absolute plan of his five minute drive with the train track. So you know, even when you're stopped by a train, you know, you can get there probably in five minutes, depending on. Uh, and, and you can avoid the train tracks, by the way, by going around around Wedgewood. Just FYI, uh, which he has. One time, I was going now. to the zoo, and a train just stopped there and never started moving again. So I was stuck forever. Sorry, can you do that? Total tangent. That's I was terrible. so mad. I was so mad. There's got to be a rule about that. Like that's, that's. Oh, uh, we gotta we gotta talk to the honorable council member from District 17 about that. <laughs> I don't I don't know that council member's name. I know a few of them in town. That's that's a rough one. That's that's no good. There are alternate routes, by the way, though, to get to the zoo. You can go you can go around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're stuck and you got people, is it whole, it was a whole that's, thing. No, that's true. That's tough. Some areas of Southeast Nashville can be challenging in that regard. We will say there again are alternate routes to get to the stadium that avoid that. Just Craighead's the one right by the post office over there, kind of back road that that can get you sometimes. But uh, Wedgwood is clear, mm-hmm. a couple others. So yeah, ML Rose going back from railroad schedules to our regularly scheduled <laughs> topic. Uh, it, it's it's cool to see folks starting to to get in on the ML Rose train. Mm, there you mm. go. And uh, so thanks to uh, to Carrie for your comment there with your map and plan, Steph, and, and for Super Duper Wyatt's uh, patronage. And the next time you go, give us a heads up on Twitter first. I'm almost always down to meet up in ML Rose. So if I'm free, I'll, I'll come join you there. Uh, Tim will as well if, if uh, he's available to do that. It's it's hard to beat. So we encourage you definitely to check out ML Rose, especially as uh, things ramp up to game one at the new stadium. All right, on to the mailbag. We mentioned uh, Kerry's input about the burgers, not his only input this week. He asks, can Hani get on track to what he was the last two years? Are teams keying in more on him? He had some moments against SKC. I, th- I think that last part is is what's important. Is He's basically along the same trajectory as last year. We're a little bit skewed mentally because it hasn't been converted at the same rate that he did towards the end of last year. But there aren't as many opportunities, so the sample size podcast is is rearing its ugly head yet again. Um, and when you're playing exclusively on the road, I think it's reasonable to say you're going to convert fewer of those opportunities. I have not broken down those stats. Probably I will do that at some point, but it's it, it really is, I think, a sample size issue at this point. He's, he has played well, like Kerry mentioned, and we just haven't seen it quite as much reward from it. In due time, it'll happen, and especially when Nashville is a little bit more expansive playing in Geodis Park. I have a proposal for a new segment on the show, and it's going to be called Call me when. Um, last week it was call me when Nashville SC struggles to score at home and puts up similar numbers than they did on the road. Uh, call me when Akeloba doesn't get a chance to get in the game in the first several home matches and contribute to some degree. The newest one, call me when 
Hani Mukhtar stops providing assists and, and serving as an integral part of this attack. Yeah, the lack of goals is something obviously he would like to have changed. He's missed a couple chances there, including the PK, uh, which which the PK missed. Look, be angry it's at not that. Good. That's it's fine. Not good. Be frustrated. But but on a broader sense, I'm I'm not in a broader sense, I'm not worried as long as Hani continues to provide assists and remain an integral part of that attack. He had another assist on Saturday, his fourth of the seasons. He's among MLS leaders in that category. And that is ostensibly his job. It's to create goals, whether or not he's the one scoring them. Um, yes, this past assist, of course, was an indirect assist on a free kick. Others deserve maybe a little more credit for uh, you know, the, the cross from Leal, the the header in from from Romney. The whole setup was was beautiful. Uh, but it still points to his importance as an all-around member of the attack that he was the one taking that free kick, uh, obviously. He's not just a goal scorer. He ranks second in MLS right now in progressive passes received, so he's being targeted in key areas. He's third in Major League Soccer and carries into the 18, so he's taking it into dangerous spots. And he's fourth in shots, seventh in shots on target. Uh, Tim, one area of possible improvement, only eight of his 19 shots have been on target, so I think we expect that percentage to grow as he finds his uh, his flow uh, if he keeps getting in good positions, we we have to think the goals are going to come. But in the meantime, he's contributing to other people scoring. And keep in mind, too, last year, in his incredible career season, he outperformed his expected goals by nearly six goals. So we can expect some regression on the score sheet, at least on that side of things. But to me, as long as he's putting in assists, I don't think there's a reason that Nashville SC should worry because it means they're still scoring and he's still a part of that. Yeah, until the team success dries up, I wouldn't worry about it. And I think, you know, as I just kind of said, I expect his his individual success to ramp up long before any sort of team success might dry up. So I, I wouldn't worry about it just yet. Wyatt continuing on the the Hani theme and mentioning a couple other things too. Um, Hani's missed penalty. CJ squandering a one v one. Some pretty bad passing at times. Are these signs of fatigue from travel? or something we should be slightly concerned about. And then he followed it up with the picture of his animal burger. So you need to go check it out, by the way. It's a, it's a well-taken picture. He could be a food artist, I think. Um, I don't keep the burger on my plate long enough to take a picture. Of it, so <laughs> Phone does not eat first. No, it does not. Uh, Hani's missed PK was a bad PK. Again, I, I think Melia is great at saving them, but this one, it's more about Hani missing than, than Melia being amazing, unless that just happened to get in Hani's head in that moment. I think that's a reflection, though, of lack of confidence from the spot and not fatigue. Uh, in terms of passing, pass accuracy was actually the second best of any match this season, and the most passes Nashville's completed inside the 18. So, you know, there may have been a, a few noteworthy missed passes there, but the overall stats would suggest they were pretty accurate and pretty incisive. And then CJ's miss 1v1, yeah, that was fatigue. And I don't think it's fatigue over the six games of the road trip. It's fatigue because he was in the 89th minute of playing at striker. It's the latest he'd played in a game this season. He only played 90, I think, three times last year. So he's not typically around that late in the game, uh, which is a topic we'll get to in a minute as well. So it's a shot he should and does convert most of the time. But that one definitely, definitely fatigue and not a long-term uh, factor of concern. Yeah, obviously Mukhtar's penalty came in in a very different game state. But Sapong's when you're leading, um, when you basically just need to see out a game there, it's not something I worry about. Um, some of it is fatigue of a road trip, but there's also this, the simple matter that it's hard to play on the road, regardless of how long your road trip is. Um, when you look at the bigger picture results on the year, 3-2-1 and one so far, the team is performing pretty well. And, and drilling it down to the micro like that, yes, there's an opportunity to be even better, but it's not something that I, I think is an issue with this team overall. On to the sub-patterns. Payancito, three substitutions in the 90th minute. Is there no confidence in the bench? Every week our, our subs seem to come late. 
believe me, I, I understand the compulsion to want to see more of some of these guys, especially Ake Loba. I know we get asked about him every week. I don't even think we got specifically asked about him, but this kind of uh, leads right into that. But I mean, the simple matter is that the, the bench is there to accomplish winning soccer games, just like the starting lineup is there to accomplish winning soccer games. And I don't think, um, you know, making sure everybody gets their orange slice and their, and their little bit of playing time is that important. If Hani Mukhtar and CJ Sapong have more legs to go into the 90th minute, then you do that because those are your two best attacking players. The benefit of taking them off has to outweigh the the what you are getting out of leaving them on the pitch. And like we just mentioned in the answer to Wyatt's question, yes, at times there is fatigue and you do want to see them get on, um, you know, see a guy like Lobo replace Sapong a little bit earlier, for example. But in the big picture, your best players on the pitch at that time are the ones that you want there. And I, I don't, I'm not the sort of guy who's concerned with substitution patterns for the most part, as long as the team is winning. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I was a little surprised that we didn't see a couple of those guys come on earlier than they did, but there were also some unique factors that contributed to that. I mean, Dan Lovitz had a knock. He was on the bench. He was available, but I think he probably comes in maybe a little earlier for Washington just to provide some some fresh legs uh, if he's a little bit healthier. Um I don't again. I don't know his injury status, but I, I mean, he was available. But I think maybe only nominally. So, um, Wheel was effective enough too. That I don't think Miller needed to come in for him. The back three was solid, and you don't want to change that when they're playing as well as they were there in the second half. And this is a game where Dax McCarty comes in at some point too. If he'd been available, maybe he even starts. You know, it, it was just a unique circumstance. Even Anna Bogadoy, who came in earlier was resting after just a, a grueling uh, international break a couple weeks ago. And, and because Anunga had played so well, he was not needed as early um, as, as he might otherwise have been. And of course, he would have started normally. So uh, I think you're looking at some unique circumstantial factors there more than a pattern, because I think Gary's been still fairly active with the substitution patterns, uh, barring Loba, of course, uh, for, <laughs> for most of, of the season. A uh, couple of, of questions that, that dovetail nicely. Chris Hole, what factors are behind Alex Mwil's recent performances? Has he leveled up? Is he adapting well to the wingback position? And Wesley Bryant, has Mayer supplanted Miller at right back? And has Mwil supplanted Miller for right wingback? I'll just give the statistical context and let Tim give the the opinion part of this. Um, against SKC, Mwil had an assist. Of course, and he had the goal last week. A chance created, which was the assist. Uh, he led the team in passes inside the opposing half, so he was an active part there of, of what was happening in the attack and playing pretty far forward. His average position was the fourth highest on the pitch just behind Leal in a match where 45% of Nashville's attack came from the right third of the pitch. He also led the team in fouls one. That's a lot to digest there. Um, I, what I what I will say, kind of as the broad picture thing, is I don't think we're seeing a lot different from Wheel than we'd seen in the past, the previous year and a half since he joined this club. Just that the conversion is there, I'm getting the assist, finishing the header the prior week. That's partially down to luck rather than anything that's really changed in his game. But in the bigger picture, personnel-wise, Gary Smith loves what Wheel can bring, even if it's not the most polished <laughs> at times. And if right wing back is the best way to get him into the starting lineup, so be it. If that means less Eric Miller, I think some of the fans will probably be pretty happy about it. I think there's still a place for Eric Miller in starting lineups for this team, not just coming off the bench either, whether that's to rest Wheeler Mayer or whether that's, um, you know, because he's a better or a better tactical fit for what Nashville wants to do on a given day. I don't think we've seen the last of Eric Miller. I would agree with that. And I think you look at Miller, you look at, at Mayer, Anunga, Washington, and what these guys have proven yet again is that they can deliver a replacement level or above replacement level performance when they're called upon. 
mm-hmm. two straight wins with suboptimal lineups compared to what you would project coming into the season with uh, with Anunga starting, with Washington starting, with Miller starting last week, with Mayer in. Uh, Nashville, by the way, has only lost three of the 22 matches that Jack Mayer has started over his, his time in Nashville. So the milkman is, uh, is more than 2% outstanding. He's delivering. Delivering a whole oh. performance, yeah. for sure. Um, Wesley Bryant, with how well the three back center, the, sorry, the three center back system has worked, will Nashville revert back to the back four with the return of Dax from suspension? Uh, I only in our rundown, I only said yes, <laughs> one word, <laughs> period. But uh, to give a little bit more, I think that this club wants to be tactically flexible. What Dax brings when he's available is that you can play a back four with him kind of being that shield in front of the two center backs. It provides you the tactical flexibility that I don't think it really matters whether it's three center backs or two center backs. If he's one of them, Um, there are, there are going to be opportunities to use kind of both an odd back line and an even back line going forward. Yeah. I, I I think again, you have, you have versatility there. You have plenty of flexibility that you can, you can use, uh, but I think, that the McCarty combo with Davis and Godoy makes makes a lot of sense in a world now where they're going to be fresher against San Jose and uh, need need some solidity in in the middle. Uh, Trevor Bryant, do you think Shaq Moore's call up and performance in the last international window has changed the likelihood that either he makes a move to MLS and maybe Nashville this summer, or he plays his way onto the World Cup roster? I don't think international play changes much with his club situation and how that plays out. Um, he's still getting sparing time for a La Liga two team though, which means a tougher level of play and more playing time in MLS probably would make a lot of sense for him. Um, as for the world cup, I don't see the way onto a fully healthy roster for him. Um, Serginho Des is presumably going to be back. He missed this prior window. DeAndre Yedlin is clearly ahead of Moore. He started over him um, in a couple of the games in the final World Cup qualifying window. And then you've got guys like Joe Scally, who probably has a little bit more upside in the, in the next 10 months because he's a younger guy, because he's just getting his footing in Europe. I, I just don't see a way that Moore would make his way onto the World Cup roster. Yeah, I see him as, as a good fit for Nashville SC. I, I do. I think, you know, the question is, you know, number one, is there enough allocation money available to buy down Moore's salary? He'd likely come in at that TAM level. Um, and number two is, of course, you know, does it justify the opportunity cost of, of doing something else? And, and, you know, he wouldn't prevent you from signing a DP. Those would be different categories. So if you're thinking that keeps you from signing a DP striker, um, you know, not not necessarily relevant to this conversation. It's more about that allocation money and whether Nashville would like to to use it for this, to use it to, to acquire somebody else in league, which can be tough to do uh, for a key factor, key player in the middle of the season. Uh, so, I think I think it's a good fit. I think you know you have to come down to, to personal terms as well with a player like that, and and hopefully he sees enough light at the end of the World Cup tunnel, enough hope that he does want to play himself into consideration mm-hmm. by coming to the U.S., being under Greg Berhalter's nose, getting that regular playing time. He's a great fit, but I think you know as we've talked about Alex Wheel in the meantime, whether or not he was meant to be the long-term solution there, he is he's playing into contention as a guy who is going to be hard to take off the field. Um, and, yeah. you know, while, while certainly more would represent maybe an upgrade in some areas, wheels doing his part right now. And if you can say, you know, Mike Jacobs money ball, right. If you can save the allocation money and funnel it somewhere else where there's a greater need, maybe, maybe that's the consideration here. Um, if wheel continues to play up to that standard. You know, I think one thing to keep in mind is that picking up a, a true right-sided fullback could actually let you play him wheel in a position that he's more comfortable. Like this guy is getting it done at right wing back, but mm-hmm. he is a, a guy who's used to playing higher up the pitch. If you got a true right fullback, that's 
Yes, maybe a little bit at a, at a higher talent level than Eric Miller at this stage in Miller's career. That could open up wheel for you. And for a guy that's got a golden assist in the past two games, getting more out of him would be uh, quite the incredible improvement from a team that's already looking pretty good. I think that's a great point. Uh, Stashville asks whether Sean Davis is one of the two or three most important members of this team. And if so, what does that mean for Dax? And once again, I'll, I'll bring statistical context here and I'll let Tim weigh in on the substance of the question. Um, yeah, Davis earned his first assist of the year against SKC. Um, but broader than that, he ranks ninth in MLS and first on the team in tackles one, the latter by nearly double over Alex Mwil. The most pressures on the team, the most blocks, the most interceptions, a stat in which he led MLS last year. Uh, Tim, some of these are position-based. I mean, mm -hmm. he's the guy playing in the heart of midfield. Dax and Godoy have significantly less minutes. Those are the other guys you'd expect to rank high in that stat. But still, I mean, that, that speaks to his importance and his ability to hold down that spot in the absence of those two stalwarts. The two or three most important players on the team I want to unpack. Okay. Is he more important than Hani Mukhtar? No. Is he more important than Walker Zimmerman? No. Is he more important than Joe Willis? Maybe. Because oh, he, no he, way. he no way. well, maybe <laughs> he he keeps Willis out of trouble in a lot of cases. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I, that, Regardless, that's a tie. I'll give that a tie. Yeah, I mean Nashville SC didn't sign him because they thought like, hey, let's add the captain of the Red Bulls team to come to come right on the bench, right? Um, as for his long term role, I do think that what we saw through the first few games, which was either all three central midfielders on the field or more rest for the likes of of. Anibal and Dax, like you just mentioned, that's basically what you'd expect. And I think that's essentially what we expected and what we talked about in the preseason, aside from the fact that Gary Smith kind of surprised us with that three central midfield uh, option that he has. And um, there are ways to not really kind of rob Peter to pay Paul and that would be the playing time for, for the three central midfielders, I guess, in this uh, very tortured metaphor here. I think you can get all of those guys on the field, not even necessarily together, but kind of rotate them in a way that keeps them all healthy, keeps them all happy, and gets the most out of all of them. Circumstances often make your decision for you. But yeah, as you mentioned, there's also a way to put them all together at once when, when that is necessary. All right, heading outside in, let's do a boys and not gold update. And you can find more details on clubcountryusa.com. Last week, you posted an update, Tim, on a few of these guys. And we'll start with Elliot Panico, the... Uh, maybe keeper of the future for Nashville SC, at least a guy they want to get some minutes in the meantime, has started all five league matches for Indy 11, where he is on loan. No clean sheets yet, but it's not a good defensive team. He's first in USL and saves, and credit to him. That's great. It's a great stat, but when you lead the league in saves, no matter what league it is, it's probably not a defense that's getting its job done. I don't think we'd ever expect Joe Willis, for instance, to lead Major League Soccer in saves uh, because he doesn't have those save opportunities as often as some others. Although, again, he was awesome against SKC. Uh, and uh, Panico, by the way, Indy 11 would have loved maybe to have employed him in their U.S. Open Cup loss to a much lower division team. They are out of the U.S. Open Cup. Panico did not start in that match. Yeah, you mentioned the post that I wrote about Boys in Not Gold last week. Check it out, listeners, for a burn reel on India 11's backline because <laughs> uh, the, goal, the goals that he's given up over the course of the season have been like, like seriously, just like embarrassments for the backline at times. Um, and I, I don't, I don't want to roast the guys individually, but some of some of the things that Panico has had to deal with, and he has not dealt with them perfectly. Um, and there have been opportunities that were not solely generated by failures at the back that he didn't necessarily handle the best, but man, they are not being kind. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's making his stats look worse than the video probably does. I mean, 
that's good, right? You, you, yeah, you, yeah. You want you want a guy you want a guy who looks decent in the face of of horrible. Play. Yeah, I mean he's getting getting live fire. It's better yeah. than sitting back there and just commanding a defense that yeah. is elite. Uh, Rodrigo Pinheiro, by the way, not sure we'll ever see him again in in gold, but depends on what happens. I'm not in sure Chile, we'll ever even officially now. see an announcement that he's been loaned out. Still hasn't been put out there, has it? Uh, <laughs> Recently earned the most hilarious red card in boys and not gold history. I think it's safe to say where one of the two yellows was it the second yellow? That yeah, it was the second yellow for, in like the eighty fourth minute or something like that for taking a shirt off in celebration. Yeah, yeah, it was a game winning goal. To be fair, it's very exciting for him. But I'm playing for Union Española in Chile. He missed a, the subsequent league game for the red card that he received there. But he's a guy who. Um, is getting the opportunity to get more playing time in Chile, which he was obviously not getting very much of in Nashville. And I still think that maybe some of the off-field adjustments to a place where English is pretty much exclusively spoken is a bigger part of why he was unable to find a fit in Nashville. And hopefully, given that his contract goes through, I believe, 2024, maybe 2023, Nashville will either have a chance to take advantage of some of the development that he's getting in Chile or will be loaning him out again in the future. And either way, happy for the guy. We can laugh yeah. at the red card, second yellow from taking your shirt off. But I'm we sure should. That was it a, was very funny. I'm sure it was a very cathartic moment, though, too, for him. Yeah. As frustrated as he was in Nashville, as much as he probably thought he was going to contribute, then he got, what, two appearances all year, didn't find the 20-man the very often. Uh, good for him for getting the goal. Maybe that should have been my focus instead of the hilarious red card, but uh, nonetheless... Um, Good, good for Pinheiro. Which one is more likely to go viral, Wes? Come on. Well, that's very true. Yeah. Uh, Robert Castellanos, by the way, was on loan very briefly to Tampa Bay before suffering a right ankle injury, has had surgery, and is currently listed on Nashville SC's injury report each mm-hmm. week. Is, you know, he's coming back and under the care of the team. Hate that for him. He's a guy who had pretty significant USL experience when he came to Nashville. and yeah. Last year had chances, I think, to be loaned out and opted to stay and learn from guys like Romney and Zimmerman. Of course, his one appearance he scored against it's, Toronto it's, the beneficiary of a Dave Romney long throw. That's right. quite the closing the loop here. The first of what two ever Dave Romney long throws that have resulted in goals, I believe. I think those are the only two uh, that have. Yeah. have to check the yeah. stats on that. But I, I uh, feel like every Dave Romney long throw, like like every San Jose game spiritually has seven goals. Every Dave Romney long throw spiritually ends in a goal. For the I mean, the viewers, the viewers benefit at, at the very least. I'm a big baseball fan, and in honor of Major League Opening Day, I said on the broadcast too. I I feel like his arms, like he's gonna have a, like a pitcher when he wakes up the next day. His arms are gonna be <laughs> sore from all the work he was doing up high. But it's good, I think, especially when he can get it past that first level. Other teams have done a good job fronting it and you know getting in the way. In this case, it hit a Kansas City head, flicked awkwardly, and then bounced on the ground and played pinball. And, and uh, credit to Wheel for splaying it out beautifully to CJ Sapong who finished. But um, yeah, Castellanos, the beneficiary of a long throw will not be at least for a while. Wish him the best as he recovers from that right ankle surgery. And then one will mention typically the theme of boys and not gold are players who are on loan and will come back presumably possibly to be Nashville SC players. Alistair Johnston though, not wearing gold previously wore gold, probably never will again, earned his first assist in Montreal and their win over New York Red Bulls, a two one victory. So happy for Alistair and thought we'd include that there. Good to see him um, feeling his way in for a Montreal team that has now won two straight matches, especially after he um, conceded an own goal against Cincinnati the week before. That was a tough position for him to be in. Uh, Tim, in terms of other results around Major League Soccer, Miami over New England and Fort Lauderdale this past weekend, a 3-2 win, Miami's first of the year. Miami, the only team behind the Revs in the standings, as the Revs are in 13th place, four straight 
losses, three goals allowed in three of those. We expected regression from last year as the metrics would indicate that, that the results were a bit kind to them. We expected CCL fatigue, but this seems at this point to be beyond both of those factors. The, the lack of, of Matt Turner is rearing its ugly head because mm-hmm. I think he was a, a primary driver of why New England was able to outperform their metrics for a lot of last year. But um, I, I believe I saw a stat from Matt Doyle that said this is the first four-game losing streak for a Bruce Arena team since Bruce's first four games as an MLS head coach. Holy so it is it is not good times up there in Foxborough. And I, I think the the typical teams that participate in CONCACAF Champions League struggle at the beginning of the year situation doesn't even apply because they lost a round earlier than they were expected to. So this is a situation that they have to figure something out. Carlos Heel, I'm complaining about the weather in New England as though being in in the Boston area was supposed to be like pleasant in in March. But it's a situation that Bruce is one of the best man managers in coaching in this country. And I think he'll figure it out. But will it be in enough time? I don't know. It'll be really interesting to follow. And yeah, to your point about CCL fatigue, they also won their first round via forfeits. They only played Mm -hmm. two CCL matches. And in that stretch, you can certainly forgive them. But 3-2 3-2 in Miami is one that's going to raise some alarm bells, I think. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it, it, we'll see if that results in Miami gaining a little confidence and playing a little bit better. But I have a hard time seeing uh, – th- I can see New England climbing up from 13th. I don't really see Miami climbing up from 14th unless uh, unless our, our friends in Cincinnati have something to say about it. Uh, that's, that's very possible. Leo Campana, a hat trick for Inter-Miami. Now four goals for him this year. All right, final whistle time. Your weekly update in the 440 Sports Football League. Tim, shooting up the standings, rising five spots after I think you employed players who actually played this week. Yeah. Why didn't you tell me I was supposed to do that, Wes? That makes a difference. That would have been, that would have been a great hot tip for MLS Fantasy. Play guys who are going to see the Next field. level strategy. Yeah. Well, congratulations on, Thank on you. your, Thank your um, resurgence, I guess. You're ahead now of Braden by seven spots. Uh, he's in 45th now of 54, 50, 56, I think. Um, I'm in fifth place. I dropped a couple of spots, had an okay week, but nothing nothing special. Uh, Captain Carlos Heal, he had a PK. That was about the only thing that happened for me. The hard part, too, is so much of the defender points are driven by who gets a clean sheet, and yeah. there aren't many of those in Major League Soccer, and there weren't many this week um, at all. So it's, it's tricky, especially when you used to be able to be like, well, they're playing Cincy, they're going to get a clean sheet. Now since he's got an attack, they just don't have as good of a defense. Uh, Fockery remains in the league. He extended his lead with the best week of any player in the league. So congratulations to Fockery as we move on now to content recommendations. Tim, anything you've been watching, reading, listening to lately? The U.S. Open Cup. I think we forgot to mention this last oh, week. Or maybe darn. maybe I did, and it, I no, totally, we totally forget didn't. that I did it. Yeah, U.S. Open Cup. Uh, one of the oldest. It's unfortunately no longer continuous based on being canceled during the first two years of our ongoing pandemic. But um, you, the 2022 U.S. Open Cup is well underway. You alluded to Indy 11 already losing, um, being out of the competition. Nashville SC does not enter the competition until the next round, but most MLS teams are in the competition now. Uh, the next round of games uh, takes place, I believe, this weekend. I probably should have looked before I started talking, but uh, the next round of games takes place soon, and um, it's always a great opportunity. You can check it out on ESPN+. Plus. You can um, watch games on the U.S. soccer website, I believe. So seeing some of these lower division teams have the opportunity to knock off Giants of MLS is always exciting, and it's it's a really fun competition, regardless of of whether your team's in it yet or not. 
April 19th and 20th, so next Tuesday and Wednesday will be the next set of games. And there's something I'm following. I think Cincinnati could be at risk against Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Um, Inter-Miami travels to Miami FC, according to uh, to what I'm looking at here. A um, couple other more, more interesting games. Um, this is really exciting as I scroll and talk. <laughs> Atlanta United hosting Chattanooga FC. CFC beat Memphis. I know Nashville people like hearing that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, so the the fourth division CFC going to Atlanta. And one I think I've got marked, Orlando City and Tampa Bay Rowdies, an Orlando team that um, has figured out its starting 11, I think, and has a pretty good feel now for its identity. But, you know, they'll rotate some. Tampa Bay, year in and year out, one of the best USL teams. And that one could be interesting. And uh, Rail Salt Lake is playing a hailstorm, I'm told. Or the hails. That's the Northern Colorado hailstorm who beat Jimmy Oxford's Colorado Spring Switchbacks. There's a there's a deep cut for you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I believe I believe the switchbacks are kind of affiliated with the Rapids nowadays, right? I don't know if that is the case. Charlotte used to be, but I, yeah, I know more. they had switched to them. But I think the Rapids back. wanted to get out of the USL game uh, in the advance in advance of MLS Next Pro happening. So maybe I'm talking out of pocket here. We'll check it, and we may get back to you next week. We may. <laughs> uh, my recommendation is is a site that I use. I used a lot today. I use it for every match broadcast prep, and that is FB Ref Football Reference. If you're not familiar with this site, it is a game changer when it comes to MLS statistical analysis, as they aggregate data that comes from StatsBomb, I believe, is their provider. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of two major stat providers, the other being Opta, and. It gets to down to a very granular level. You can click on any player on Nashville SC's team, go to leaderboard appearances, and see any time they've ranked in the top 10 of any major league in which they have played. You get great expected goals metrics. Um, it, it's not flawless data. There are moments where you know you find discrepancies and things like that, especially with what MLS does. For instance, they don't count the secondary assists that MLS does. So there's some things I don't use it for. Shouts out to FB Ref for that. Right. <laughs> In <Yeah>. my opinion. <laughs> Man, I like the secondaries. I think that's important. I, I might differ from you there. It's um, it's meaningful, but it's not the same thing as an assist. They, they should be weighted, I think. Yeah. You should have maybe you know two points for an assist. Oh, uh, college, college soccer stats coming in. Two yeah, points for go. a goal, one point points. for an assist. That's it. Yep. <laughs> Uh, hey, this guy who's called a lot of Belmont soccer matches in my day. It it, it comes naturally. <laughs> but FP Ref is great if you want to kind of get into some of the data. And that's what we bring you, right? We try to bring you some of that analysis and metrics behind the feelings ball, as Tim likes to say. And that's a place where we go a lot of times, where I spend a lot of time uh, evaluating players and teams each week. So check it out if you're interested. In, in and shout out to uh, FP Ref founder Sean Foreman, friend of the pod friend of you apparently <laughs> i don't know Sean. i was gonna let you i was gonna let you grab some glory there. i'm not gonna skate on that one no <laughs> but but let's have him on let's 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 talk to him then we we'll, we'll see if we can do that in relation to george foreman by the way uh no spelled differently and looks very different got it okay <laughs> well check out uh, check out ml rose guys and and uh and please do uh, visit them. We've had a couple listeners already who have who have done that, as you said today. Also, by the way, give us some ratings and reviews. We've had a lot of you do that recently. A couple of, of comments we've gotten recently from folks. Thorough, thoughtful, and entertaining. I constantly check in on Club and Country for Tim's take on things. Wes is a great yeah. compliment to the coverage. This is written by someone <laughs> yes. named Tim. Yes. Was that you? Did you no, write this? it's not me. It's not me, but shout out that. to that guy. Send me a so DM basically, on Twitter. This rocks. Tim is great. Wes is also there. Yes, I agree. And, I agree and then uh, El Stooks be hugging us. Uh, yes, L Stukes is, is what he listed his name as. Number one source for all things NSC. You can't beat this pod for all information about NSC. Exceptional tactical breakdowns, games by the li- underlying numbers, fan engagement. It's got it all. 
And yeah, there are a couple different different reviews on here that I'm seeing that's like Wes is good at setting the narrative and then Tim's good at actually providing the substance. So I like to hear. <laughs> thanks, guys, I guess. <laughs> what we call Southern compliment. It's friendly but also backhanded <laughs> at the same time. Bless, bless your heart. Exactly. Yeah, the ultimate Southern compliment there. Um, well, anyway, thanks for the um, now 43 of you, I believe, who have rated our show, especially the 42 of you who gave us five stars. The other one who gave us one star. Um, maybe that was Tim that, rate, that did that. I don't know. Um, thanks to ML Rose for sponsoring us, of course. Uh, Moon Taxi for the music. Be sure to rate and review, as we just said, but also subscribe. Tell a friend. Tell the friend you're going to the first match with about Club and Country. And a lot of you did that this past week because we saw a huge huge uh, uptick in our numbers which were already strong give us a follow on twitter and thanks as always to the 440 sports network for giving us microphones for some crazy reason Uh, we'll talk to you guys soon